one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who this that's who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, hello. See you all. I'm coming through. Um, so that's what happens when I forget to organize a reading. If you're sitting next to me, you uh, get the late. Can you read this verse out for me? Um, so I'm not used to wearing my glasses here at church and there's lights. All right. Well, we are, wasn't, wasn't that an amazing passage of scripture? Luke 7, uh, 36 to 50 is where we are. Um, let me start by telling you uh, a story of what happened at a, uh, a conference over in England uh, on a conference on a British conference on comparative religion. Scholars from around the world uh, came to this, this conference uh, to debate. And one of, the, one of the conversations that, um, that came up at this conference was this. Um, what is it that is unique about the Christian faith as opposed to the other religions, the other world religions? Uh, and they began kind of working through the obvious things and eliminating possibilities. They said, well, okay, what about the um, incarnation, or the Christmas story that God came to earth and they undenied about it, but look, there's, there's other religions that have this kind of idea of a, of a, of a God figure coming as a, in human form. Um, maybe in a, a, a resurrection, right? What about resurrection? Is the resurrection a unique thing to Christianity? Well, in other religions, there is. it's not unheard of to have this idea of, of life, or a return from death. Uh, and the debate kind of ra- was raging on until C.S. Lewis walked into the room. And uh, I love his classic way of, of, of phrasing it. The story goes, he said, what's all this rumpus about? Just charmingly English, there he is. Uh, and he, he asked the question, yeah, what's all the rumpus? Of course, we're trying to figure out what's, what's unique about Christianity. 
He goes, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's easy, he says. It's grace. After some discussion, backwards and forwards, they all decided they had to agree. With C.S. Lewis, he was right. He put his finger on the unique element of the Christian faith, this idea of God's love coming to us unconditionally and detached from any kind of conditions or prerequisites, this, this free love, this free grace that comes to us, goes against kind of every religious intuition that we have, and that's kind of proven itself through all the other world religions out there, right? You've got the Buddhist kind of eightfold path to enlightenment. You've got the, the Hindu doctrine of karma. You've got the Jewish kind of works of the law uh, that Jesus came to fulfill. And you've got the, the, the Islamic code as well. All of these ways kind of offer a pathway which you must walk to then gain God's favor. Only Christianity then goes to say, grace. It's not a path to walk. It's a person to receive, a, a free gift of grace to receive. It makes it utterly different to the rest of the world. It's a religious thought. Um, and today's passage, you would have heard it in there, right? Today's passage, we get a beautiful insight into what grace looks like on the ground in a very real, messy situation. The question is, we're asking is what difference does meeting God, meeting Jesus, make in a person's life? What, is, what does that grace look like on, on the ground? How, do, how does that play itself out? What does it produce? And um, look, tonight, we're actually going to be hearing a story about this, aren't we? We're going to be hearing a story of, of Lucy and the story of grace in her life, and we're going to baptize her. And, and so if you're, um, if you're here this morning, I encourage you to come along and, and hear that story of Lucy's uh, journey with receiving grace. Let's jump into our, our passage today. These glasses, the more I rub them, the worse they get. All you glass wearers out there know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Um, today's passage, it, it takes us to a dinner party with Jesus. Starts, we start with this. One of the Pharisees asked him to come eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table. Uh, so here's the setup. Jesus at this stage is super famous. Got crowds following him wherever he goes. There is kind of like he just causes chaos. Like this is like trail of chaos in his wake because he's, there's this upheaval wherever he goes and he preaches the message of the kingdom. Uh, he's doing miracles. He's teaching, causing all sorts of disturbance and causing really this kind of polarization with people who are hearing his message, right? Um, some people love him. Just before this, we, we saw the, uh, the Pharisees calling him uh, a friend of sinners. The, 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 the lowly are drawn to him and they love him and they give their lives to follow him. And, and yet there are some others who find themselves butting up heads with Jesus. They are offended and they're off-put by, the, uh, by, by Jesus' message because Jesus has come to upend the status quo and that that threatens them, and, and the Pharisees in particular are one kind of faction that find themselves incredibly threatened by Jesus. They're, they find themselves uh, hostile to the message of Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees are the religious elite of the day. They are socially the top of the pecking order. They are the, the religious serious people. They sit at the top of the food chain. Um, they see Jesus as a threat. Why? Because Jesus 
well, he's called them a, a pack of vipers in chapter 3 of Luke already, um, but he's, he's, he's going after their power. He's causing disturbances. He's threatening their power. And so the story starts today with Jesus going to the house of one of the Pharisees, Simon the Pharisee. Uh, there's two occasions where we see kind of a Pharisee have what's kind of like almost like a positive interaction with Jesus. Uh, this, is, this is one of them, I think, or at least somewhat positive. Um, you got Nicodemus coming to uh, ask Jesus questions under the cover of darkness. He didn't want his other Pharisee buddies knowing that he was doing that. So he, sne- he sneaks out, and he seems like a genuine kind of, like he wants to try to suss Jesus out. This guy, Simon, might fit into a similar category, except he's doing it publicly. He's invited Jesus to his house. Jesus, what are you on about? He's trying to suss Jesus out, I think. Um, and Jesus, of course, he receives the invitation because even Jesus cares. <laughs> Jesus even cares about, about the religious Pharisees. He wants them to hear the message of grace as well. And so he comes to dinner. Uh, in this day, this would have been quite a public, like a fairly public event. There would have been other Pharisees there. Uh, the, the front door is open, which means that people could, could wander in. It wasn't like our day where, you know, locked front doors and high fences, right? This is different time. Uh, and he is, we see, reclining at the table. So one of, the, one of the things you have to kind of keep in mind with, with um, these times is that they wouldn't like sit at a dining room table like we would today. They kind of, they have a very low table and they'll kind of like lie down in front of it, like their elbows on the table and their feet kind of sprawled out behind them, like on, on pillows. So it's a kind of, it's a very different way to have dinner. Um, so that, that's kind of what's going on today. And so um, next time you're kind of lying on your couch, covered in Dorito crumbs, you just go... It's biblical. Yeah, it's biblical. What I'm doing, yeah. Um, pastor said it's biblical. Yeah. Um, so here we are. We're at the Pharisee's house, and this is what we read in the account. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Uh, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This is is a pretty intense moment. Can we agree? Things just got a bit weird. If you were to come to my house and this was to happen, like if I was Simon, I invite you to my house and you're sitting there and a, uh, a woman of questionable repute, let's say, makes her way in the front door, kind of crawls under the table and starts weeping and trying to clean your feet with her tears and pouring this like expensive perfume on your feet. Just, can you just imagine that for a moment, how like... I don't want to say off-put, but how like confronting that is. This is a, this is a seriously confronting moment. Um, it's not quite as bad as I just kind of articulated because, as I said before, like her presence in the house isn't probably the, 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 the crazy part, right? Like in our house, if someone broke in and was to do that, you call the police probably, right? In, in this day, no, the, the, it's a bit different. Um, in these days, yeah, the, 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 these kind of public events, the poor could actually make their way into the house and and kind of listen along to the conversation and maybe even wait for some leftovers, potentially. And 
Uh, it was kind of like a social custom of the day that this, this is, it's a public culture. Today we're a very private culture, so it's hard for us to imagine that. Um, so her presence in the house isn't the shocking part like it would be today. And yet who she is absolutely is the shocking part. What is she doing there? What is she doing there? And of course, what she is doing at the feet of Jesus is absolutely shocking. Did you see, um, did you see what Luke refers to her as in the story? What's he say? A woman of the city who was a sinner. This is one of those moments where the Bible's saying something without saying something. He's, uh, he's doing his best to communicate something kind of like with a wink, if that makes sense. Um, all the scholars agree, really, that what Luke is saying is that she's not just a sinner, but sinning is her profession. She's a prostitute, almost certainly. Uh, but the, the, the boldness, the courage, the, the guts of this woman is clearly next level, right? What, like, how did she build up the courage to walk into this ultra-conservative, ultra-religious house when she was who she was? she would absolutely have known what everyone was thinking in the room when she walked in, right? Here's a scene of it here. There's like a billion paintings through church history of this moment. This is just one of the many. Everyone in the room is thinking the same thing. What is she doing there? What is she doing there? They would have had such utter contempt for her. Such utter contempt. And yet here she is. And she brings along with her this alabaster flask of, of ointment. It's very common in these days for, for women to have something like this. The idea is that like you keep it, uh, in, like you wear it around your neck or something like that, wear it on your person. It kind of acts like as a permanent incense, uh, as, as permanent kind of perfume. But you never pour it out, because to pour it out, you have to break the neck, which means you kind of you ruin it. You kind of you do that once, right? And so you kind of hold it, you keep it, and it kind of like um, makes everything. This is before deodorant, this is before showers. Uh, this is different times, right? So this was a, a fairly important deal. These things are precious, though, precious ointment, and she breaks it. So listen, listen what's happening. Again, I think this painting helps us kind of enter into the moment. I want you to picture this in your mind's eye today. You might want to shut your eyes to help you do that, um, if you're one of those kind of people that helps, if that helps. This woman comes in. She comes up to where Jesus is, is lying down, and she begins to weep. There's a room full of men lying around a table, and there is a hush that falls over the room. A hush as they realize who she is, and then this sudden outpouring of emotions. Then, she takes down her hair, begins to weep, uses her tears to begin to wash the feet of Jesus, breaks this precious flask of perfume to pour it on the feet of Jesus. It's an intensely intimate moment, intensely awkward moment for everyone else in the room. You can almost cut the tension with a knife in this moment. This is just, it's actually scandalous. Again, we're, we're 2,000 years removed from the culture. But to take down your hair, that, that's like reserved for wedding night. 
That's reserved for the husband. This is a, that's a big cultural no-no. You don't do that. She takes down her hair and is weeping. And you can just imagine how uncomfortably quiet it gets in that moment, can't you? Simon the Pharisee, who invited Jesus to his house to try to suss him out, try and work out what, what this guy is on about, is watching this. And as he watches it, he comes to a few conclusions about who Jesus is. This is what we read next. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who this was and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. In his mind, there are two types of people, sinners and us. And he's like, look, this, this settles it, okay? If you've if you still got your eyes closed, welcome back. Um, I've got to release you from that moment. Um, the Pharisee, he's like, well, th- well, this settles it. Jesus can't be a prophet. We thought he might have been because of the, the, the miracles he was doing, the things he was saying, but he can't be a prophet because if he was a prophet, clearly he would know who she is. It's already obvious who she is, but he seems to be oblivious to that fact. He seems to like be you know, maybe like a shel- some kind of sheltered kid who doesn't understand what's going on here. But if he was a prophet, he would know who this person is and he would know that she shouldn't be touching him because that is a big no-no, incredibly inappropriate. And so... Well, I guess we've just found out this isn't, this, this isn't the real deal. But Jesus knew exactly who she was, correct? She knew, he knew exactly who she was. He knew exactly who this woman was. He knew exactly what she had done. She knew exactly, he knew exactly the depth of her guilt and her shame and the hurt, the pain that she was carrying. He knew exactly what was happening. Uh, let me share with you from um, Charles Spurgeon, who said it so poetically when he, ref- when he was uh, reflecting on this. He said this, Our Lord allowed her to wash his feet with her tears, but Jesus knew well what those tears had looked upon. When he allowed those lips to kiss his feet, he knew right well what language these lips have used in years gone by. And when he suffered her to show her love to him, he knew how foul her heart and had aforetime been with every unhallowed desire. Her evil imagination and unchaste desires, her wanton words and shameless acts, were all before the Savior's mind, far more vividly than they were before her own. For she had forgotten much, but he knew all. Nothing is hidden from Jesus, friends. He knows it all. He knew everything about this woman. And with us today, he knows your past. He knows your past sin. He knows your present sin. He knows your secret private sin. He knows your future sin. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows it all. Which means that when he receives us in grace, we'd be pretty confident of something. He's not going to change his mind about us. He knows it all. But it's a sobering thought to realize he knows us so completely, better than we know ourselves. It's a sobering thought. Look at this. Simon says, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who this woman is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, pause. Jesus answering what? Did you pick it up there? Jesus is answering Simon's thoughts. 
as if proving I am a prophet, watch this, I'll answer your thoughts. <laughs> Simon's having these thoughts that Jesus, he must not be a prophet, and Jesus confronts those actual thoughts. That is next level. And he, watch this, I love this. Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. Guys, if Jesus ever says that, you don't want him saying that when you're having these kind of thoughts. You never want to hear Jesus say this when you're having thoughts like that. Jesus just gets ultra-confrontational. Simon's having these thoughts. He's not publicizing them, but this is what's happening in his heart. And Jesus goes, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon girds his loins. <laughs> he puts on his cup. He gets ready for what's coming. Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender, Jesus says, has two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So one denarii is like a day's wage. So let's just round it up just so you can like kind of get it like a laborer's wage. Okay? So let's say it's 200 bucks for a day's work for a laborer in modern day. So this is like $10,000 and $100,000. Okay? So both are big. One is 10 times bigger. Okay? When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose, you can see this is like he's a little bit hesitant to actually give an answer to this. The one I, I suppose who, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, you judge rightly. Do you hear what Jesus is saying in the story? So if you, if, you, if you kind of miss what's happening, Jesus is the money lender. The woman is the one with the larger debt. Simon is the one with the smaller debt. Okay, that's, what's, that's what he's saying here. Jesus is the money lender. He's the one that's forgiving debts here. They both have different sized debts. Verse 44. Then, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? It's a pretty loaded question. Do you actually see her? I'm just looking straight through her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Just standard behavior and standard protocol in these days, standard hospitality. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet her she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped my hair. Wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Again, standard hospitality. You didn't even give me like the, the, the normal greeting you'd give anyone. But from the time she came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. Again, standard like symbol of honor in those days. She has anointed my feet, not with oil, but with ointment. Do you know how cheap olive oil is in Israel? <laughs> Do you know how expensive this ointment is? He didn't even bother with the cheap olive oil. Simon, do you see this woman? Verse 30, 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. When Jesus is saying little, by the way, he's using inverted commas. Forgiven little. 
as if there's such a thing. And he said to her, turns now to talk to her and says, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? This is the big, this is the big issue for the, the, the Pharisees. This is blasphemy for him to claim to be able to forgive sins. He does not have the authority unless he is God. And guess what? Jesus is claiming to be God here. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That last line, go in peace, could also be translated, or is equally translated, go into peace. Go on in peace. Go now into that peace. Jesus is comparing these two people. He's comparing these two people, and we are meant to see this whole story. It's not just about the woman. It's not just about Simon. It's about the two of them. We're meant to see them together. This is why Luke does this, okay? Um, There's two types of reactions to Jesus. One that Jesus clearly commends, another that he rebukes. And so we're going to have a look at these two reactions. We've got um, two things to say about them. Firstly, the first distinction Jesus makes about these two is their awareness of their own spiritual debt. Their awareness of their own spiritual debt for God. One is aware of it and one is ignorant of it. He describes two people in debt, right? $10,000, $100,000. Point of the story is this. Both are in debt, both cannot pay, both need forgiveness. Simon doesn't have any comprehension of the fact that he is in debt to God. He has no comprehension of that. He's utterly ignorant of the fact that he has a spiritual debt to God. The woman, on the other hand, how can she not know that? How can she not know that? Her whole life is caught in this gravitational orbit that is her shame. Her whole life revolves around it, everything. Her whole world, her walking into every room, she is aware that she is a sinner in need of grace and rescue. So she's entirely aware of her spiritual need before God. Simon is absolutely oblivious. Do you know of your need today? One preacher would, um, would, would tell a story, a story that goes along like this. He says, suppose a man went to bed, fast asleep all night, middle of the night, poisonous spider bites him. And before he wakes up in the morning, he dies. But he dies like having good dreams. And so he dies with a smile on his face. He's proper dead. That same night, there was a, uh, a man camping in a game park in Africa, and a pack of lions gets him. Rips his limbs, limb from limb, blood everywhere. Have you ever seen like photos of, like video footage of, of lions eating gazelles and stuff like that? The bloody snout? Yeah, this is what's going on. All right, question. Who's more dead? Yes, right? One is peaceful dead, one is ugly dead. Both are truly dead. In the same way, big sin or little sin, the end of the day, how much does that matter before God? A debt is debt. An unpayable debt is an unpayable debt. There is no such thing as little sin when it comes to the Lord. And so, yes, we can, like, we have this human instinct to want to kind of like compare ourselves with our neighbors. Obviously, I do it, you do it, we all do it. There's something compulsive in that. 
But at the end of the day, comparing our sin is like ants on the beach comparing who's tallest when there's a tsunami of shore coming their way. It's like, if you're a tall ant, it doesn't matter much when there's a tsunami headed your way. Today, whether you are the religious, self-righteous Simon or the rebellious woman of the world, you have a debt to God, unpayable debt to God. We are each in need of his forgiveness. In the story, think about the story that Jesus tells with me. The money lender is owed a lot of money. When he forgives that debt, where does it go? What happens to the debt? Does it, does it vanish? In a sense it does, right? But in another sense, it's, it's, it's only vanishing because he's absorbing the debt himself. He's the one that's paying it, correct? He's paying the cost to forgive these people their debt. This is what is happening with our spiritual debt as well. As well. There is a price to be paid always for forgiveness of debt. There's always a price. With our spiritual debt as well, there is a price to be paid for our spiritual debt to God. There will be a price. And the Bible <laughs> wants to make it incredibly clear what that means for us, how that price is paid. It's written all over Scripture. I've got four for us today to show us what happens to our spiritual debt and who pays it. 1 Peter 2, 24, for a start. He himself, talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Sounds a lot like Romans, Romans 6 when we did that a couple of weeks ago. By his wounds you have been healed. Just a couple of verses later in the next chapter of the Bible, chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 18. For Christ suffered once, not pointlessly. He wasn't suffering random suffering. He was suffering once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Do you see that? Who's the unrighteous here? That's us. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. So he might bring us into the presence of God through that forgiveness. Isaiah 53 before Jesus even came, the Bible was preparing us for the cross so we would understand what it was saying. Isaiah 53, verse 5. By his, uh, he, was, he was wounded for our transgression. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Do you see this? The forgiveness that comes to us from God is not free or cheap. It costs God the suffering of his son, Jesus. Finally, verse 15, um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus was paying our debt to God. Jesus was paying our debt to God. This is what the cross is about. Our unpayable debt. The Bible just said he was becoming sin for us. Just think about what that means. Think about what that means that Jesus was coming. On the cross, Jesus was becoming our greed. Jesus died the death of a greedy man for us. 
On the cross, Jesus became your lust. Jesus died the death of a sexual pervert. Isn't that awful? This is what the cross is telling us. Jesus died because he he became your self-righteousness, your arrogance. Jesus became your cowardice on the cross. Jesus became your apathy. Jesus became your sin. Friends, forgiving your debt came at a a cost to the Lord. This is what the cross is for. He was paying our debt willingly for us. Willingly. One more. One more distinction I want you to see here between these two. uh, And that is how it is these two received Jesus. This is the big one. This is the big one. The difference in how they received Jesus. Simon, he wants to know about Jesus, doesn't he? Like, I think that's what I read in the story. He's open. He's he's up for the conversation. But he's guarded. He's guarded. He's impersonal. He's aloof. He's up for a chat, but he's he's not receiving Jesus. The woman is open, deeply personal, and emotionally invested and vulnerable. Simon is happy to sit down with Jesus for the chat to learn where he's coming from, see if he can get his head head around what Jesus is saying, but he has absolutely no intention, absolutely no intention of actually receiving Jesus with an openness of heart. He wanted a conversation, a discussion, talk about ideas, maybe ask Jesus some questions about how to interpret the Old Testament, even a sincere conversation where he, 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 he lets a little bit of himself, puts a little bit of himself on the table. He's not receiving Jesus. Let me ask you the question that has opened me up like a can of sardines this week. Could you ever imagine yourself doing something like this, that, you, that this woman does? Like even remotely in the ballpark. Could you imagine, just if, if Jesus was here, he came to church this morning, he walked in, the risen Lord. What would we do? If you were in the woman's shoes on this night, would you ever have the guts to do what she did? Time for some honesty, I reckon. So I've been thinking about that question all week, and I've come to the conclusion (laughs) that if I was her, I just I couldn't fathom coming before Jesus with that kind of public, awkward, emotional vulnerability. It sounds traumatic. Now, is anyone else on my page or am I the weird one here? (laughs) I hope I'm not the weird one. But I might be, and that's okay if that's the case. But I suspect that I'm not the only one. So meditating on this passage this week has made me realize that there is something in me that is resistant. Resistant to entering into a kind of open-heartedness before God. 
something in me that is, that is resistant from like adoration of God. Something that in me that is resistant from this kind of public display of, of genuine worship. There must be. If I don't want to, if, if this if this seems like that's just a step too far, well, what does that say about my love for the Lord? Do you feel that? If you, my next thought was, well, I want to love like this woman, don't you? I want to love the Lord like this. I want that for me. I want that for you. I want that for our church. So if you're with me, if you're at all with me, and you two agree that you probably could never fathom yourself showing the Lord your love like this, but that troubles you about yourself, like it troubles me about myself. Today, I'd actually like to ask you to actually join me in repentance. We're going to ask the Lord together that he would change us, grow us in our love. I don't want to be like Simon, who fails to welcome the Lord even in the most basic of ways. I don't want to be like Simon and just kind of treat Jesus like an idea to be discussed. Have you ever had those nights in small group where you kind of you talk about Jesus, but you never actually treat him like he's there with you? I've had, I'm a small group leader. I've had those nights, guys. I've got some bad news. Jesus is going to make it worse for us than it is right now because of what he just says next. He's going to point out why we would feel that way. What's going on in our hearts that we would feel that we're above this? So it's going to get worse before it gets better. Therefore, I tell you, he says in verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Here's the contrast he's drawing, right? The woman is overcome because she knows the, the magnitude of her forgiveness, right? She knows the size of her debt and the magnitude of her forgiveness, and that has just destroyed her in a good way. Friends, she doesn't even know that Jesus is going to die for her. Have you thought about that before? She doesn't know Jesus is going to suffer for her sin. She doesn't know that he's going to become her immorality on the cross. She, just, she, doesn't, she doesn't comprehend that yet. He's just been gentle with her and kind with her. He hasn't, she doesn't understand that she's, he's going to atone for her sin. The reason, we have so much more reason to want to adore the Lord than she did. Because we know what's coming. We know what, the, what Jesus is going to do. We know the cost that Jesus is going to pay for us to extend us the forgiveness. We know that. She didn't have a clue of that. And yet her heart is so filled with gratitude, she cannot stop from loving Jesus publicly and awkwardly. So, in the text, Jesus gets confrontational with Simon. Simon, today I have something to say to you. Today, likewise, Jesus is getting confrontational with us. When we're Baptist, I have something to say to you. He is saying, your love is little because you feel like your forgiveness means little. You love little 
because you simply don't think your forgiveness is a big deal. Which means you underestimate the holiness of God, as I do. You underestimate the reality of your sin, as I do, apparently. And the image of your dying Savior nailed to a cross has ceased to cut you to the heart. You don't realize that the forgiveness you are receiving from Christ deserves more than a, thanks Jesus, that's awesome, I appreciate you did that for me. The cross calls for more than that, doesn't it? So today, you may be like me and feel the need to respond in, in repentance. I think if we're all reading the same Bible together, there's going to be times when your pastor's going to hit a passage and go, yeah, I think this is, this is something we all need to do together. This, this today is something that I need to do as well. Is Jesus saying to you today, you love little because you think your forgiveness means little? Is that you? Is that what Jesus is looking you in the eye and saying? And I'm, I'm not talking about like empty emotionalism, obviously. I'm not talking about a manipulated emotional response. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about just wholeheartedness. Wholeheart, openness of heart to the Lord. Vulnerability. This is what I'm talking about. And so look, if that's you, what we're going to do, I'm going to look at one more word to say before we um, move to response. Um, but if that's you, just in the next song, what we're going to do, do something a little bit public and awkward, because that's what she did. That's the theme, and that's on purpose. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you in the next song to come and kneel with me down the front here somewhere. Which means you're going to have to leave your seat. And people are going to see you. And it's going to be awkward. And that's exactly the whole point. What today is stopping us from receiving Jesus with this kind of open-heartedness? What is stopping us? For me, as I thought about it, I was like, well, fear of man. I care about what you all think. I care about what people think of me. That matters to me. More of how I receive Jesus? That's where we need to reflect. And so, look, if you're visiting with us today, no, we don't normally do this. This is, this is a bit odd even for us. You're welcome to join in. You're welcome to stay where you are. You, you do you. That's okay. But today, we are going to, and I am going to, respond to the call of Jesus today to worship him. And so I'll invite the band up as I, um, as I say one more final word. Um, you might be here. Actually, and if you're honest, you, you, kind of, you kind of identify more with the woman than Simon in this moment. Because you're not particularly religious. And so, like, Simon's aloofness doesn't really impact you, but the idea of this woman's shame being forgiven by Jesus, that means a lot to you. That resonates with you. If you look at your life, you might say, yeah, I have kind of gone past the point at which I can go back now. I have given away my life to sin. You might even resonate with this woman's like pain, this clear pain that she has in her life, that her life has not gone how she wants it to. I need you today to see how Jesus speaks to this woman. Do you see how Jesus speaks to her? Friends, this is beautiful. Listen listen to what Jesus says to Simon about her. He's, He's looking at Simon when he says this. He says, therefore I tell you, 
this woman whose sins are many, her sins which are many, are forgiven. I want you to notice something about this. Jesus does not hesitate to say her sins are many. Do you see that? He's not making excuses for her. He is not flattering her. He doesn't give her like a, a, a wry grin and go, oh, well, boys, well, boys, or whatever. Right? He doesn't do that with us either. Jesus is not going to gloss over what is truly evil in us. He's just not going to do it. Forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, don't worry about it. No, he, he's not pretending that she hasn't disqualified herself from grace. And yet Jesus is going to give it to her anyway. Jesus honors her despite this. Her sins are many, and yet Jesus honors her. He treats her with humanity, with gentleness, with dignity. Today, Jesus is very able to look you in the eye, call you a sinner, and tell you that you are loved. Who else could do that? (laughs) Who else can do that? And so today, I invite you today to receive the forgiveness that Jesus extended to this woman. He extends it to you as well. Through the cross. Through the cross. Look at what he says to her. He says to her now in verse 48, he says, Your sins are forgiven. Verse 50, Your faith has saved you. So go in peace. Friends, her simple faith that Jesus was who he said he was, was what saved her as a gift. So today, I invite you to come receive that gift. Come receive his forgiveness can learn what it means to go into peace. This is the way. Let me pray. And then I'll invite you down. Lord, today your words... Um, And this week, your words have exposed something in my heart that needed exposing, and I believe has exposed something in the hearts of many others that needed exposing, Lord. We don't want to be like Simon. Interested in you, up for a chat about you, even sincerely open to, to what you might have to say, and yet closed to actually meeting with you, guarded and locked down, and so dishonoring who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we want to hear the rebuke in this, not shy away from it, Lord, that that I probably would have done what Simon did. I probably would have thought those thoughts, and I might have even failed to honor you in the most basic of ways. And so, Lord, today I ask for your forgiveness because you extend your forgiveness even to to the self-righteous. So, Lord, I pray for us today. pray for all of us, Lord, that we would receive your grace afresh. You would open up our hearts to actually love much because we have been forgiven much. Lord, would we know that today, that your holiness is great, that our sin matters, and that your grace covers it all because you died for us. Lord, help us to remember that you were nailed to the cross for us. How can we forget such an obvious thing? And yet, Lord, we... Yeah. 
when we, when we find ourselves loving little, Lord, would we know that it's because we have, feel like we're forgiven little. So I pray, Lord, that today we'll get in touch with reality. Your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts to see. Lord, and I pray those of us who need to feel the need to repent, Lord, would do so this morning, even in the most, um, well, I wouldn't say the most public of ways, because what she did was off the scale, Lord, but we are going to, yeah, those of us that feel the need to, to come down the front, Lord, and kneel um, in this next song, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, Lord, that you would gift us with more love. And Lord, that this church would be a place where we'd be safe to repent.